0: This is the Yale University Press Podcast. I'm Jessica Hollihan. I'm very pleased to introduce my guest, Patricio Del Real. Patricio is Associate Professor of the History of Art and Architecture at Harvard University. His new book is Constructing Latin America, Architecture, Politics, and Race at the Museum of Modern Art. The book explores ways that MoMA played a surprisingly active role in the thorny politics of Pan-Americanism in the interwar period and just after World War II. Patricio, thank you very much for talking to me today about your book.
1: Well, you're welcome. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation.
0: So let's set the stage a little bit. The, the book argues that between World War I and World War II and in the years following World War II, the idea of Latin America was born. It was a specific visual, artistic, political, commercial, social idea uh, invented by a number of U.S. state and non-state organizations, among them the Museum of Modern Art. And it was presented for strategic reasons to U.S. citizens by various means, including architecture exhibitions at MoMA. So what were some of the important features of the idea of Latin America?
1: Well, as I mentioned, the book uh, explores how the uh, idea of a particular idea of Latin America emerges in this particular uh, moment in time in the interwar uh, period. Uh, and it emerges across different uh, US institutions uh, uh, because of the political um, situation um, that the Americas, but also the world, is um, going through. Um, the book focuses particularly on. MoMA, the Museum of Modern Art, but it also focuses on the Department of Architecture um, as its sort of main sort of uh, site of exploration of how this uh, notion or idea of Uh, Latin America uh, is then constructed within sort of the dynamics of the museum. So it's not uh, about essentialisms. The book doesn't explore an essentialist idea of Latin America, uh, but rather the conditions, historical conditions of the emergence of this idea and also the mechanisms of its constructions, particularly through uh, exhibitions and architectural exhibitions. Um, So it's important also to state that uh, there are many Latin Americas, and there have been many sort of ideas of Latin America. Um, there are many ideas that have been produced in Latin America itself, and this is also very important. You know, there's a whole t- tradition of imagining and trying to construct Latin America from the region itself. But what the book really does, it actually explores uh, this idea produced in the United States and, again, in a very particular institution in the context of of uh, its Department of Architecture. Uh, so it is very much tied to uh, MoMA's, uh, um, and when I mean MoMA's Department of Architecture, the MoMA's proselytizing agenda of building um, uh, this notion of uh, modern architecture, of modernism, of also known as the international style. So it's completely woven into that. So a long process uh, that starts with the um, uh, 1932 modern architecture international exhibition this better known as the international style show um, so within this kind of dynamics of uh, architecture and how to construct uh, again an idea uh, of modern architecture emerges uh, uh, this notion of a latin american architecture uh, and a modern architecture that's proper to latin america uh, that eventually is kind of codified uh, through particular uh, forms um, uh, and materialities of, uh, because of the extensive use of reinforced concrete, for example, um, and then particular sort of uh, formal devices such as um, the control, uh, the use of brise or external blinds to control solar uh, so uh, solar gain in buildings, uh, the use of pilotee to raise um, buildings from the ground. That also has to do with uh, condi- uh, local conditions uh, of sun and humidity. And very very much is uh, in this narrative is tied to the development of a Corbusian formalism um, uh, that is very important at this time um, in modern architecture. There's a...
0: a- a small story early in the book that d- doesn't play a huge role in the overarching narrative of the book, but was, I thought, nonetheless, really fascinating, which was that of, speaking of the international style, Philip Johnson's architecture room at MoMA. Um, do you mind telling us about when and how that came about and what it looked like and how it relates to the story your book tells?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so because of the the books kind of explores this moments of interactions or more of, a, of crossings or between sort of uh, cultural productions or exhibitions, right? That involve um, uh, the agency or or themes of Latin America. Suddenly, um, uh, this kind of very. Uh, what can be considered a very, very strange exhibition <laughs> um, uh, which was somewhat complete is mean, completely forgotten and buried in the archive and it was actually when I was doing a research I remember uh, i I would do uh, different um you know look at many different exhibitions uh, at this period not only um, only ones that I knew that were completely related to to uh, Latin America and I found um and in, uh, in different exhibitions, these very strange uh, photographs of uh, the stagings with the work of Diego Rivera. And then I tied it back to uh, the very famous, uh, very important 1931 Diego Rivera show when Rivera was here, uh, well, in New York, uh, painting the Rockefeller uh, Center frescoes. So I started to uh, try to put things together and, I, and then um, came about this um, uh, project, which was the architecture room, which was uh, conceived um, early on in 1933 as the first sort of architecture and design exhibition uh, space for MoMA. This is when MoMA was in, in the Rockefeller townhouse. And uh, at this time, uh, Philip Johnson is the uh, uh, the director or curator of the architecture, brand new architectural department, which he starts. Um, so I find this very um, interesting collision, one could argue, uh, between uh, uh, Philip Johnson's ideas of modern architecture and how modern architecture should develop and Diego Rivera's own sort of ideas of what modern architecture uh, should also um entailed. Uh, Rivera was very much involved in Mexico in the idea of you know of modern architecture so at this moment in time here at MoMA uh, in this kind of strange conjunction of while well, he's in New York with um, also with uh, uh, Frida Kahlo uh, comes about through um, a patron, it was Ray Slater Murphy who's a scion of a, of a Boston industrialist um, this um, Project for the architecture room, which involves the reproduction of Rivera's frescoes um, to convert to um, um, more accessible uh, visual. Um, um, uh, products if you will because moma is also very much engaged in the reproduction of artworks so that people can um in, uh, buy them to commercialize them this is also very much part it's also part of a sort of a commercial aspect to this so so the project was to uh to produce this beautiful folio and the folio still exists and the reproductions are amazing um uh, it's just a reproduction of for the first time, the reproduction of Rivera's uh, fresco work. So the idea was that you could, you know, you could have a Rivera in your own home and he didn't have to come and paint, you know, and paint a fresco for you, but you could actually buy it. And the reproduction, which it was a uh, German technology, um, was then sort of uh, um, uh, commercialized in this way. Uh, for, I would, one can argue for a slightly higher um, um, uh, Higher echelon of economic uh, you know people or of people who can buy uh the this kind of very beautiful folio. after all, this is the depression, uh, but nonetheless, so then the idea sorry to make this very long story, <laughs> complicated story so along but then the idea and of course the need comes okay, we need to stage this right and the first the idea. Uh, was like okay. Let's just let's just let's just stage them as you know paintings as reproduct- of, of you know very high quality reproduction, but just basically as a normal painting exhibition. But uh, then the idea emerges to say no no. Let's actually stage it as an interior, as a modern interior. And this is very important because at the time, I mean, we're talking about 1933 uh, 34, right? There, there are really not that many modernist buildings even in New York. Um, so it is the modern interior. That really becomes kind of the site of, you know, the um, cultural battle of what modernity should be: should it be Art Deco uh, or should it be modernism? Right. So this, so of uh, the Department of Architecture, and of course Johnson and everyone is affiliated to this idea of the international style. It is a modern interior uh, that becomes sort of the again the battleground. But what's fascinating, right? is that here then within this. Um, uh, ideation or idea of building what should be a modern, uh, interior in the United States, uh, includes the reproduct- the works of high quality reproductions of the work of Dio Rivera. So you have this kind of, of, Mexican or Mexicanidad idea of, of modernity, right? In conjunction with this, um, with furnishings by, uh, like, uh, by Le Corbusier and Charlotte Perrin and, uh, and products, uh, um, produced by, uh, you know, uh, uh, German industry. So we had this, this beautiful sort of uh, intersection between different ideas of modernity at this moment in time, and the fact that this is actually done in a, by Philip Johnson, uh, which is completely, completely paradoxical, uh, because at this time he is. A, a, a declare fascist. Uh he, he he is he he will leave moma after uh um in a, in in 2 years to actually establish, you know, try to establish a fascist party in the United States. So this it tells you the how complex this interwar sort of period is. Uh, in the lives of many people, in the lives of institutions like MoMA, and how it, you know uh, people within the museum are actually trying to negotiate all these different forces at this very uh, uh, tense moment in time.
0: It's a completely fascinating story. The archival photographs in the book are, are amazing.
1: And what's also and what's interesting about about this, which I found in, and make the argument in the book, right? Is how then this this is not sort of a, an internal. Debate that is being having by MoMA curators, right? Uh, 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 shelter journals, journals are actually participating in this conversation. So you see Arts and Decoration. Uh, you see all the journals uh, having, uh, trying to define what is so what is the modern interior, and how should people in the United States live in relation to a you know a modernity in a time of crisis during the, the depression. So it becomes really much, very much a. An, an everyday story, a, you know, a, a story that uh, that transcends just institutional boundaries, that goes beyond just the institutional boundaries of MoMA uh, and uh, as a, as a cultural institution, but it also shows how uh, cultural institutions in the United States are completely tied to um, uh, the um, uh, the culture industry, if you will. In uh, this case, shelter magazines uh, to try to sort of craft. You know the way the, the consciousness of Americans in this particular moment in time. And it's actually it's, it's fascinating how you hear these kind of echoes and you and you see the images and the photographs being sort of published in the magazines. So, uh, so this kind of this whole network that will grow as the museum grows, also and as you know U.S. culture and modernism starts to grow in the United States, also.
0: Right. So you didn't have to. Visit MoMA, or you know, really even have MoMA on your radar to be affected by
1: exactly right. The ideas. So I mean, yeah. you can imagine you're you know in the other in the in the other uh, coast in the West Coast, and you uh, grab a magazine, you uh, are and decoration, and actually you see right, you see what's happening, uh, and, and it really does become a national conversation, which is also so imp- important, um, and and how so. This the ideas of modernism um, start to um, reverberate across the nation, and was my interest in this particular case was then how you know um, images and imaginaries of Latin America in this particular case how Dio Rivera actually then sort of starts to reverberate right across also uh, the country. Mm-hmm. So it'd be quite interesting as as a follow-up, right? To see to see how then those reverberations then uh, impact other institutions. Uh, but, you know, that is beyond that. That that may be another project. That's the next <laughs> book. That's the next yeah, book. The next, right? for somebody else. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, you write at greater length about the 1940 exhibition, 20 Centuries of Mexican Art at MoMA, which did not include architecture. Would you talk a bit about that show and why you consider the absence of architecture. I think in your book, you refer to it as the ghostly presence, uh, why mm-hmm. that's significant.
1: Well, what I what I'm find important in this show, and, and, it's, and, and I always have the, the doubt whether it's, okay, this is a show that doesn't include <laughs> architecture, so why include it right, in a book uh, that really focuses uh, on architecture, although I do take on other um, other ex- exhibitions and, and projects and anything eventually you know it is important also to to um, argue that uh, it's not only the architectural department and my book focuses on the architectural department but as you know the, the other departments also will be engaging in producing this idea of uh, of latin america at moma but you know there's only so much uh one can one can do um but I focus on 20 Centers of Mexican Art because of several reasons. One, because this really does exemplify the way uh, that models of exhibitions that were done at MoMA um, that um, will, of course, develop and change across the history of the museum. But in particular, this one, this one is very important because it shows how the museum becomes a platform For other institutions, for the and to put it simply, for the Mexicans to represent themselves, so the museum, in a way, kind of hands over the um, its institutional spaces. For the um, Mexican institutional narrative of Mexicanidad, of Mexicanness, so this is a very interesting sort of uh, proposition that we have to sort of always keep in mind um, of the sort of cultural exchanges uh, and cultural dialogues that are happening at this time. So it's not, it's not uh, that uh, positions and the, the question of agency, right? Who has the agency? Uh, uh, in doing these exhibitions. And this is all a negotiated agency. It's not only the Museum of Modern Art, right? It's it's uh, all the curators, but also then all the information, all the knowledge that is actually being uh, uh, amplified, that's being produced in Latin America, then being amplified and modified in in MoMA. So there's a lot of negotiation. And what the beauty of this uh, of this exhibition, uh, 20 Centers of Mexican Art, sort of presents is how... A project that was actually crafted in Mexico right, under the Cárdenas um, you know, cultural policy, which is a very, very important um, moment for Mexico in, in and in projects Mexico um, abroad in the form of its own soft power and cultural diplomacy, gets kind of reshaped uh, to be then uh, established or then be presented at. At MoMA, so it, it, it's a really, really fascinating sort of rearticulation of of a project. And in this case, what's also fascinating is for me is that it is the then curator of architecture, John McAndrew, uh, who had very strong ties with Mexico before, also who is put in charge of actually uh, staging the whole thing and sort of project manager, if you will. So he's dealing with all the different. Um, Uh, Mexican um, uh, intellectuals and curators, uh, like uh, Caso or Toussaint, um, and then sort of negotiating how to present um, this project. So um, he, interestingly, so this this exhibition was very much the product of the Mexican cultural establishment. And what I find fascinating is how at this moment in time, still in Mexico, modern architecture was still very culturally controversial. Uh, it was it was uh, it was part of the battle of how this you know you, the cultural institutions would present Mexico ab- abroad uh, um, as a cultural product that did not include sort of modern architecture. But Macandrew, uh, being an architect, uh, um, he was very much in, uh, interested in presenting the modern architecture uh, uh, section uh, within this whole. Huge sort of exhibition of Mexicanidad, but in the end, uh, uh, this was kind of. Uh, in in the end, I didn't find any smoking gun. Say you know somebody came down with an axe and say no, no modern architecture. Uh, it was more um, the processes of exhibition making that you know this was a huge exhibition. Um, in the end, most likely something something had to go, uh, and then in the end, because there was. No institutional support, really, from the Mexicans uh, themselves. Most likely, you know, they decided there was a decision to say no. This, this, we're gonna leave out, um, and then that was it. Um, but this becomes this becomes critical in the story of modern architecture um, because of the emergence of what we can call Brazilian modernism. Right? This is this is a very uh, the same. This is happening at the same. Uh, the same moment when Brazil is, uh, uh, if you will, declaring its own uh, architectural uh, modernity with the Brazilian pavilion in the 1939 World Fair in New York. So it becomes this kind of conjunction of very important sort of moments for the history of architecture. So the fact that the Mexican cultural establishment was not able to sort of present sort of a cohesive of so arguments right, on how modern architecture is part of the cultural construction of a modern Mexico uh, becomes, you know, fundamental, uh, a fundamental piece that you know that this exhibition um, presents.
0: And then in in 1943, of course, MOMA, MoMA does respond to this yeah. declaration by Brazil of it being a center of modern architecture with the exhibition Brazil Builds opens in 1943 at MOMA um, and presented presented Brazilian architecture from 1652 to 1942. Mm-hmm. Um, what you know? You've mentioned the World Fair. What what in a, uh, other specific catalysts were there for the exhibition, yeah. and ha- and how would you characterize MoMA's goals in its presentation of Brazilian yeah. architecture?
1: So it's fascinating, right? Because these two, the, so so what again to go back to 20th century of Mexican Mexican art. This is happening, right? When you know, when Brazil, as I mentioned, make this 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 amazing statement. Uh, this is amazing, it, and it catches everyone by surprise. Suddenly, and you see, you can see the letters at, Mo, at MoMA, the archives. You know, people are like, "Oh my God!" We, you know, something has to happen because uh, we. This came kind of out of left field, and then suddenly, a new center of architectural production, of architectural cult, of architecture culture, has emerged way south, right, way, way, way down in Brazil. And we have to remember that, you know, at the time, you know, the communications are not as speedy as we have them now, right? Even and even though. Um, you know, of course there's there's journals, there's magazines, you know, there's this this really emerges as a complete surprise and everyone's like kind of like uh struck in amaze uh that something like this uh is is actually happening. Um so there's this element I believe of shock first, um, that the museum trust needs to start to scramble, um, because suddenly, you know, the um if you will, the most um the uh I don't want to say natural, but the most um, direct connection, economic connection at this time, you know, because of, of proximity and historical connections. As always, with, with been with Mexico, and this is sort of uh, sort of made clear, right, with the participation of Dior Rivera and how you know how modernity, how Mexican uh, modernity, really is woven with MoMA from the very beginning. But so suddenly now, the emergence of a new um, horizon. Uh, with Brazil, so it does actually become kind of a shock, uh, right? So there's a lot of this kind of um, uh, rearranging and re in rethinking of of what um, um, modernism uh, in the Americas kind of can be, and this is very important also because. Really what this whole thing is tied is tied to an American modernism, right? How uh, American modern culture. This is really what the museum is trying to sort of shape at this moment in time. And then what is, um, there are different uh, cultural contenders, if you will, within the museum. Of course, there's people who are always, you know, thinking, you know, we have to look look at Europe. Of course, Philip Johnson, you know, we have to look at Germany, etc. cetera. There's also uh, France. Um, so, but there's people within the museum that are really much more invested in trying to identify an American modernity, uh, right? And then then looking also uh, beyond the United States to the Americas to see if there are any connections, um, any continental connections, that, of course, all these are being uh, fueled by Pan-Americanism and then also will be more reinforced by the closure of any cultural exchanges with Europe uh, with uh, the Second World War. Uh, so all that is kind of happening. Um, so what's one very important thing that uh, happens with Brazil Bills and the, you know, the cat- one of the catalysts of the exhibition, to go back to your question, is uh, um, um, a very important aspect that one of the curators, Janet Henrich, so mentioned, is like, well, we need good buildings. And, uh, and this is fundamental, right? The fundamental for the museum uh, and the Department of Architecture was quality, that there has to be a level of quality that deemed by the museum itself, of course, and by its curators, that is actually, that can be uh, brought in, if you will, uh, to the level of museum, uh, the, the museum exhibition um, uh, infrastructure, if you will, exhibitionary. Uh, uh, process, if you will. So the question was always, well, is there enough good buildings? Um, so the question, um, they didn't know how to answer the question uh, as <laughs> one of the memos by, uh, um, in the archives says, well, yeah, we, we know that, you know, there's Nehemiah and they has one, you know, we've seen one excellent building, but is there anything else? You know, this cannot be only a solo show. It cannot be a Nehemiah show. Uh, um, and actually it's interesting because up to this date there has been no Nehemiah show uh, at MoMA uh, but uh, so they decide um, to um, go there and do and go go to Brazil and actually um, go in a kind of an expedition to see what's out there in uh, in Brazil and the ability then to say okay yes there's enough, There's more, more than enough <laughs> to actually do a show. So we can actually do a show. So it's not only about politics, right? Uh, um, uh, uh, in, but it, the the interesting thing is like, it's not only that they can actually do a show, right? They can do a show that becomes, um, I as I again in the book, one of the most important shows in the history of MoMA, right? It's a show that kind of shifts the center of focus for uh, for modern architecture uh, from Europe to the Americas, to Brazil, to Latin America, and suddenly sort of the Brazilian phenomena, right? A possibility of a different type of architecture, right? That uh, becomes sort of possible that is then projected towards the future, right? So what's also interesting is that even though Brazil builds, right? Opens in January, 1943, so we're still very much in the, the war, it is, a, it is an exhibition that is projected to the future, to the post-war. It is sort of a model. It presents building as a model for a world after the war. And that's why it has the impact that it had.
0: Mm. The, the area referred to as Latin America is, of course, a huge place made up mm-hmm. of dozens of distinct countries. Um, and your book does take into account many, many of them, but there is a focus on Mexico and brazil. what What accounts for that?
1: It, it's, it's, it's an important question because you know there's there's architectural production in all the countries and um and there's interest in the architectural production of all the countries. For example, there's this very uh, important moment that I put in the book uh, when um, for When there's some focus by the um, uh, Office of the uh, the Coordinator Inter- of Inter-American Affairs, which is Rockefeller, which is kind of, you know, in the background of all of this, uh, focuses, uh, uh, pr- they produce a film on Bolivia, on La Paz, you know? and they literally describe Bolivia as you know, the most modern city in Latin America, which, you know, was... Uh, one would actually say is is actually surprising, and there's much to be uh, said about this and and the political conditions, right, uh, that enable uh, this kind of this uh, discourse, this kind of discourse of modernity and what is modernity and and, and who is modern and not. So there's that um, part of the book, um, but it, the focus is on Mexico and Brazil um, because. Um, they are, you know, economic powerhouses. So there is a lot of architectural production. There's a lot of uh, urban transformations that are happening uh, in these two in these two countries. But also because in, in relation to um, a more uh, aesthetic and architectural discourse, these are the two countries that have produced, if you will, uh, a more distinct. Or an articulated idea of architectural modernism uh, that is uh, that can be circulated in the United States, but also circulated across the world. There's there is there's thought. There's there's theories. You know, this ideas of how architecture must be uh, produced in these two countries that are penetrated the cultural establishment, that then these actually can again can circulate through um, uh, the cultural intellectual milieu. Uh, across the world and I think this is this is uh, part of the condition why of these two um uh, uh, countries do do become um sort of central figures in this kind of complex play uh, because it's easier to draw from um uh, uh, from ideas that have already been sort of produced sort of in in Coalesce, if you will. So it's also about cultural production. It's not necessarily only about the uh, about buildings that are there, but it's also how they can be framed within a particular discourse of the uh, of modern architecture slash the international style. There's a moment. There's right. an, inter- an interesting moment when the figure, uh, the uh, Argentinian architect Amancio Williams, sort of appears uh, right in the in the uh, Horizon of MoMA and Philip Johnson, uh, 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 but precisely because um, it doesn't have the uh, cult- cultural characteristics of Latin Americanness, right? That Mexico and Brazil, um, in the in the in the sense of exoticism, that is expected of of the architecture and the culture of this region, right? Uh, because Williams doesn't have this uh, characteristic. It's more difficult to insert him within the particular sort of uh, discourse, and then and and then uh, he doesn't really appear until very late, until Hitchcock then goes uh, to Latin America, does the big survey, and then produces in uh, Latin American architecture since 1945 in the 1955 exhibition at MoMA.
0: Yeah. So let's talk about that, the next sort of landmark in terms of the series of MoMA architecture exhibitions Mm -hmm. that your book discusses. Did it represent uh, any kind of shift in the museum's strategies for presenting the material?
1: Mm -hmm. Well, it was certainly a shift because before, if before there was very much um, an agenda of collaboration, um, which is always present in in every exhibition, uh, the one does um, uh, even even in Hitchcock, even that that is much uh, much uh, more hidden, if you will, because you know Hitchcock, you need this infra- infrastructure of collaboration when Hitchcock goes and travels and meets architects and asks for plans and asks for information. There's always this sense of collaboration that is completely hidden and completely, if you will, buried uh, in that exhibition. So. We move from an exhibition like "20 Centuries of Mexican Art," where collaboration is, you know, is celebrated and very much put forward as the clear model of, of, of exhibition making, to 1955, uh, a model where it is, you know, Hitchcock, the great American uh, architectural historian, who did, you know, uh, the Modern Architecture International Style and the uh, Modern Architecture uh, International Exhibition. Uh, exhibition, the foundational exhibition. He goes and then discovers, right, supposedly what's what is of value in Latin America and comes, brings it out and presents it to the world. You know, to present to that MoMA. So much more um, centralizing, hegemonic, and monovocal sort of uh, uh, image of what the exhibit, what an, uh, an exhibition uh, is. So we ha- we have that sort of transformation. Um, that goes hand in hand with the growth of the institution and the power of the institution, uh, MoMA itself, and its Department of Architecture also, and its ability to control uh, the information that is actually out there in the world and becomes this kind of um, uh, information center uh, for architectural culture in the United States. And it's actually quite fascinating because at this time already by the... uh, uh, the 50s, uh, uh, when Philip Johnson returns, if he returns in 1947 and officially 1949, as uh, director of a now reunited Department of Architecture and Design, he has very much as his project that the Department of Architecture of MoMA will become sort of the central node of all the information of architecture coming into the United States. And then from there, it will be actually then disseminated Across you know the United States and beyond, you know controlling images. So this has to do, for example, when you know magazines are asking for images of X, Y, or Z buildings. You know, MOMA will say, okay, we have this, we have that, we have that. Or people asking, even you have letters in the archive of people asking, oh, I'm you know looking to build a house. You know, I'm. Do you have any recommendations? I mean, it's crazy like that. And then the museum will actually reply. You know, the department will reply. Well, this is a list of architects um, that you can actually consult from students, uh, uh, writing. So there's, there's, there's this center of information that the department becomes, that, um, uh, that becomes hegemonic in its construction of modernism. And this is something that, you know, people will actually then rebel uh, against um, um, in the uh, in the later part of the 50s and the 60s, uh, certainly any of this. Uh, but also, then what I find it interesting also is that this moment, which becomes right, the consolidation of a sort of narrative or discourse of an American architecture, is precisely uh, related and completely tied and dependent right, in this dialogic relationship with the construction of a Latin American architecture. So. Um, this kind of idea that a particular regional architect modern architecture has kind of emerged in Latin America allows for the possibility of saying, well, we have an, Amer- uh, 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 an American architecture, a proper American architecture that we can actually uh, export right to the world. Mm-hmm. So it's very much huh. a kind of a dialogic. It's always this. The, the book is always trying to to mediate between this kind of dialogic relationship of why the need to construct. Latin America, um, right? From the United States.
0: Um, right, you talk about how um, the, that exhibition, Latin American Architecture since 1945, the, there were aspirations that it travel widely through Latin America after its US run that didn't really come mm. to fruition. Was, was that partly in reaction to the sense of MoMA's hegemony or were there other reasons? That that didn't happen.
1: I think there were. I mean, there's. I think you can always. We can. We can. We can always find kind of the reactions, right, to a, a growing kind of a hegemony. Uh, but I think the growing hegemony will be actually coming later. Um, um, at this moment, in time I don't think in the 50s um, uh, there would be such a reaction against uh, MoMA's sort of growing he- hegemony. I think it would be more uh, of the possibility of how can we. Um, uh, uh, use this hegemony, right, to f- continue to consolidate sort of architecture culture uh, in each particular sort of uh, region. Um, I think that it's because um, uh, there's several reasons. One are just practical reasons, right? That uh, there really n- there were really not that many sort of institutions in Latin America that would be able to uh, actually sort of embrace. And pay for a project like uh, bringing an exhibition to uh, to the uh, to the a particular country. It, it did travel. It traveled to Venezuela uh, and it traveled to Cuba, and it was going to travel to. Uh, so they traveled to those two sites, and then they eventually traveled to Mexico also. But when then what the Mexicans did, they actually completely kind of um, not completely. They uh, joined uh, that exhibition with two others, one on. U.S. architecture and on Canadian architecture. So they actually refurbished, right, MoMA's exhibition, utilized MoMA's exhibition to create their own idea of what modern architecture in the Americas should be, uh, uh, sort of taking all these kind of fragments kind of together, which I think is, you know, is a brilliant sort of way uh, and also exemplifies how these kind of cultural products are sort of appropriated and then reshaped uh, to create uh, a particular uh, or different cultural messages, right? And they call it a they call it a Panamericana, Pan American architecture. So it becomes very much part of the Mexican cultural establishment now, with a much, much, a very clear idea of how modern architecture uh, plays its, its cultural, the cultural role. Of modern architecture in Mexico and what should be its cultural role, um, right? That it completely embraced. So now it has the not only the sort of intellectual and epistemological infrastructure to actually insert architecture, modern architecture, within this kind of grand narrative. Also, but it also has the institutional formations uh, and the institutional institutions to actually be able to produce this. And I think in other countries um, that institutional. That institution and the power of institutions were not there yet. Um, and one part of the interesting story that uh, one can grab um, from the from the book also is how, um, thanks to the museum and certain museum museum uh, personnel, there is an attempt to build this Pan American infrastructure of museums, um, right? That will consolidate in 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 industrial centers like São Paulo. Uh, um, and but there, there are other attempts to create to create this kind of institutional um, network of museums that some falter, some don't. So there's this attempt in the '50s to actually consolidate a Pan American cultural uh, infrastructure um, that is kind of part of the story. So where exhibitions, MoMA exhibitions can travel or not is part is part also to um, this institutional uh, landscape that enables the exhibitions to travel because one has to remember, and a lot of people forget that MoMA is a private institution, so it's not that it's not the exhibitions just travel, right? The museum wants to send exhibitions to across the world, in this case, across Latin America, but you have to pay for these, uh, for these exhibitions. There's a cost involved, and not every institution has the the ability to actually pay uh, for um, uh, these exhibitions. Uh, or if they have, you know, uh, the ability, there's also you know they're competing with painting shows or sculpture shows or other type of shows. So there's there's this kind of cultural negotiation of of where is the place of architecture within the museum infrastructure within museums um, in order to have architecture exhibitions. So this is this is a uh, I mean, a very long and complex and very rich story that is still sort of going on uh, as we speak you know what is how how does architecture enter into the museum into the whole process of exhibitions uh, as a as a cultural object and so as a final
0: question i'd like to ask you to talk a bit about your personal history with MoMA. You worked there in the years from 2012 to 2016 and contributed to a number of exhibitions including the blockbuster show Latin America in Construction Architecture 1955 to 1980. What effect did your experiences at MoMA have on your thinking about the story that you tell in your book?
1: Somebody a friend commented that uh, I had be, I had in a way become hishkan, uh, right, right, Working working at MoMA and traveling the region to produce an a, a architecture show about uh, Latin America. Um, had uh, it kind of got closed, perfectly perfectly closed, right? The book project, which you know started before I had I had um, uh, uh, the great opportunity to sort of work at MoMA, so. Um, w- one, one of the um, things that working at MoMA made, uh, uh, brought home um, and made more present is just the, um, the difficulties in exhibition making. Right? In, a, in a simple, sort of a everyday, sort of a pragmatic aspects right, of trying to get X, Y, or Z to try to make things uh, happen, right? Um, the discussions also uh, to go back to this very beautiful quote that I always love by curator Janet Henrich. Uh, that says that, you know, is there enough good buildings, and how you determine what you know what is good buildings? What you know what what is a good work that becomes part of, of the of the uh, uh, of the construction of the. Ideas and the epistemic construction of sort of of architecture, um, and also working at MoMA sort of um, brought forth you know the presence of that these projects are always collaborative projects; they are negotiated projects, and from negotiation, from intellectual negotiations to everyday negotiations. So it really brings the construction, literally like putting together the building together, you know, the the making of something and how that is really constitutive to um the actual exhibition but also the ideas of the exhibition itself so i think that sort of made me more careful in trying to um tell the story you know moments moments of the story when um uh, when simple facts af- affect a uh, a final product, right. Uh, um, that are, are actually very much part of the reality of, of exhibition making. Um, so that, that really brought, uh, light into, you know, the, uh, the great ability, um, and difficulties of, you know, traversing the region, right. Uh, at a particular moment in times you know during the during, during the second world war uh, right or during the post war right the difficulties of of actually of the craft the craft of exhibition making I would say that's one of the you know aspects that also brought um, home just working working at the institution uh, and also you know the uh, the consciousness of the institution itself, you know, how the institution is actually quite conscious of its own traditions, uh, and the need—it re, it really did reinforce sort of the main sort of a methodological sort of idea of the book, which was this no, this idea of what one calling the serial function of exhibitions. That you know, one has to look at exhibitions as, as series. Uh, they are linked and connected, not necessarily. Uh, only temporally, because all of these exhibitions that I study are actually you know uh, are actually quite displaced in time, but that there are links to exhibitions that uh, insist if you will there are issues that are brought in, for example, in the um, Brazil builds that reemerged right in the, in Latin America in construction right? that there, there, are, there are issues that are, are that again that insist. And then one returns to um, uh, in the present to try to readdress it, resolve it, or just uh, uh, go back to them.
0: Thank you again, Patricio, for talking about this deeply researched, absolutely fascinating history. It's been a pleasure talking to you.
1: Thank you. Thank you again for the invitation. And I hope everyone enjoys the book.
0: Yes, I am sure that they will. And it is, again, Constructing Latin America, Architecture, Politics, and Race at the Museum of Modern Art. It's available now wherever books are sold. Thank you for listening. Please visit us online at YaleBooks.com for more episodes of this podcast, as well as information about all of our books.